and welcome to Imagine Me and Utena, a Revolutionary Girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda, and I'm here with my co-host Alice. How you doing, Alice? Well, I'm here, and it's recording, so I guess I'm doing fine. <laughs> That's good to hear. That's good to hear. So, today we're here to talk about Wakaba Shinohara, and we have a special mystery guest on today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I am a mystery guest. <laughs> How are you guys doing? So is that like being a mystery dungeon or? Uh, maybe it's like being, I don't know, one of those, you know how in roguelikes they had those walls that you could walk through? Yes. Yeah, maybe it's like that. Yep, that's me, a wall you can walk through. <laughs> the illusion of solidity, but really nothing's there. Well, that's poetic. <laughs> Nice. And also maybe vaguely insulting. <laughs> well, I meant it to be a burn. <laughs> so like, so I guess, I guess usually we ask at this point what your history is with the Revolutionary yeah. Girl Utena. Yeah, so why don't you tell us a little about your history with Revolutionary Girl Utena? Well, I watched Revolutionary Girl Utena for the first time a few years ago, and I sort of watched it all in one go over several days, and I didn't really absorb any of it i think that's and pretty then common several years later i decided to take it upon myself for a personal project rewatch all of utina and scrutinize each episode uh maybe uh, you would probably say like once a week for the past two years yeah and um that's basically like the the gist of my history with utina i almost got into utina when i was a much younger anime fan because I saw an advertisement for it in the back of another manga I was reading. And I ended up just never seeking it out. And so it took me until my 20s to actually get into Utena. That's weird, because, like, I have a similar story. Really? So, yeah, like, I mean, that's kind of like where someone brought me in a couple years ago. And every week or two, we would do this thing where we would watch it together. And it's called a podcast. Wow. So, I know, right? The future's wild. Wow, podcasts. Podcasts are so cool. You know, I've never been on a podcast before. <laughs> this is my first time. Yeah, we, yeah. Like, I, I mean, that that's like, I, I don't want to give you away. I, I don't want to like give your identity away because that's part of the game. But you told me that before we had you on. Um, now I know that you're here for Wakaba, who is your second favorite well I, I don't know if she's her second favorite but she's one of your favorite non-nanami characters yes naname is my favorite revolutionary girl utene character but wakaba is a very close runner-up i would say and wakaba was actually my first favorite character when i was watching it the first time it was only uh upon further reflection that i really understood the greatness of naname kiryu <laughs> Well, she does tend to get converts after the first watch. Um, but what was it about Wakaba that drew you? Like, what what was it about her? I just, I don't. She's so cheerful and pure and sweet, and I just, I love the way that she like jumps on Utena's back, and she's like, Utena, Utena, my love. And she, like, calls Utena her boyfriend. <laughs> it's just, she's adorable. And she's just like a, a ray of sunshine in this bleak series. 
Yeah. She also, one of the things I like most about Wakaba is that she kind of, she reminds, when I think of Wakaba, I think a lot about, I know that you're not a big fan of Sailor Moon, Yasha, but uh, Sailor Moon has a best friend in the beginning of the series named Naru. Mm -hmm. And over, like, over the course of the series, Naru is much less and less in the series because they kind of just push her to the side in favor of like all of the magical goings on of Usagi and her friends. But I just, I think of Wakaba as sort of like an, a taking the Naru character and really realizing her to her full conclusion mm -hmm. where like w w with Wakaba's duels, she's talking about how like Utsuna just sort of dumped her for like this student council stuff that like she doesn't know anything about and it seems like Utena's got this magical destiny and everybody's so much more special than her and she's getting left behind. These are the types of feelings that I imagine Naru would have if anyone making Sailor Moon gave a shit about Naru's feelings. <laughs> yeah, I, I always thought that that was a really interesting storytelling choice and um, one that gave the series a lot more of its depth, to be honest, because Wakaba is is the normal girl who should be forgotten, but the series has enough empathy and humanity driving it to to not forget about her and to show the impact on her and to keep her valid and present right up until the very end, which is something that's not common, I don't think. So Canadian Panda, who has definitely always been on this show. <laughs> um, yes? I, so, like, how has the... Has the fandom's understanding of Wakaba changed over time? Or has she just kind of always been the ray of sunshine that we, that we think of her? Uh, the, me and our mystery guest, who's definitely never been on the show before. <laughs> um, Wakaba has, she's kind of an open book. Like, it's not, it's not saying that there's nothing to read in there or nothing to think about it, but she's very straightforward whatever you're seeing is what she is. She's not, you know, swathed in layers of manipulation like other characters I could name. Um, so the the understanding over time in the fandom has been pretty much the same. I mean, different people go to varying depths of her character, but she's generally pretty agreed upon even throughout time. I can't think of any any real points where... To be honest, and this is something I was going to bring up later, I think the most divergent idea of Wakaba has been one that I encountered extremely recently, and it's pretty rare, um, was Clomonks, who did the Miki episode with you guys, was telling me that their view of Wakaba was as a false friend as opposed to Anthe being Utena's true friend in an ace reading of the show, like in an asexual reading. Mm. So... That's I don't think up. that came up. Yeah, no? I really don't think that came up. I kind of wish it had. Because yeah. I would really like to sort of flesh that out. Maybe it it might have come up briefly, and I just don't remember. I might have to go listen to that episode after this. Yeah, um, Clomox did get into it a little bit. I'm not sure that I can entirely speak to it, um, but I'll do my best. I mean, I did, I did hear them talking about it. Um, and basically the idea is that, um, in their personal experiences, they had a lot of, uh, a lot of friends that turned out to be maybe not so, um, 
not as cheerful and sunny and good influences as they seemed at first. And through mm-hmm. life just being life, the the pattern was to diverge from those friends and kind of watch them slowly drift away as you found newer friends who were better for you. And yeah. in that sense, I can I can see um, Anthe and Utna and Wakaba as kind of being in that sort of pattern if you want to read it as asexual. I guess I can see that, but it's sort of, I don't know, I guess it's not a very charitable reading of <laughs> No, it's not, which is why it was so strange to run into it for me. Um, it's It's nothing that I've really ever heard before this year, so... That's um, that would yeah, be I, the biggest change I've ever seen in Wakaba's character and how it's interpreted by fans. Yeah, I could see where that reading would come from, but you're right; it is a very uncharitable reading, and also I feel like it's a little charitable to Anthe. Yeah, <laughs> in a way that I'm not sure is yeah. really warranted. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's one of those things that I feel the the nuances of it probably make it. Um, I well, will say for the record that her black rose art, her little two or three episode black art rose thing, does complicate how you read their friendship in a lot of ways. Yes, absolutely. Um, and like not to put words into Chloe's mouth here or anything. Sorry, Chloe. Um, but basically, like the idea behind this whole this whole reading is very much pinned to their personal experiences and them being asexual and not and wanting to have something to look up to and look at that reflects mm. their experiences so yeah. we do have to keep that in mind too um i do definitely think it's a valid reading and coming back to what you were saying alice um yeah the the Black Rose arc really throws a monkey wrench in a lot of things as far as Wakaba's concerned. But I personally, her duel is my favorite episode, like single episode of the series. It really is such a good episode. And seeing Wakaba in that, seeing Wakaba finally taking part in the duels is such like a, a heartbreaking moment. <laughs> like, I... I spent most of the series before like wanting Wakaba to be included more and then it happens and I'm like, no, not like that. Yeah. Uh, I I can feel you, but I also feel like it's a kind of a cathartic moment too. Because you know that all of that was there under the surface and That's true. It's something that I mean, in a less magical setting, that would be sitting down and having a discussion with your friend of long time, just saying to them, hey, things are going real bad on my end, and here's why. But, of course, since this is Utena and they're kids, they can't talk, because, you know, as we all know, teenagers aren't human. Um, (laughs) But I think that that's really kind of a reflection of that, though, is that when you have a friendship like that, like, you know, you're really close and you're starting to drift away and all of that, that's kind of how it works is either you have that conversation and you have that confrontation or you don't and the friendship ends. One of the things that's always, like, 
and I've, I've said many times that the Black Rose arc is kind of my favorite for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. And one of them is I feel that not only do we get to see these other characters, but we also get to see how the initial cast is more, co- not only just more complicated than we would like to give the credit for, but also like how the way they've been built up to us is not really accurate. Like we've had Nanami built up to us as being sort of like in kind of indomitable. And then it's just, we have an episode that where that just isn't true anymore. Yeah. We, we have Wakaba's whole thing is that she's the loyal peppy best friend, sunshiny girl. And then we have two episodes where she is decidedly not that, mm-hmm. or she is. And it's very obviously not very obviously a front, but we also kind of like, we, we kind of get that with Uthana too, where like Uthana seems like she's a really good friend up until the point where she has completely missed this massive thing happening. Mm-hmm. Right under her nose. Which, if she knew about, she would care quite deeply. But she doesn't. And there's enough weirdness there where she kind of should know. Yeah. Unfortunately, Utena can be kind of uh, a bit of a fair weather. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, you guys on the show have talked at length about how dumb Utena <laughs> is. But she can also be a bit of a, a fair weather friend, I would say. Like, not necessarily on purpose. She's just, again, because she's kind of dumb, she doesn't really always pay attention to what's going on very closely. And so if something isn't particularly obvious, it can kind of miss her by. And that does kind of make her not the best friend all the time because she is willing to overlook things, even if she's not doing it on purpose. Yeah, and, and there's a certain amount of choice there, too. Like, Utina's choice lies with Anthe, ultimately. And that's not to say that her feelings for Wakava don't have any validity, but it is it does show where her priorities lie. And those are, ultimately, Anthe, not Wakaba. There's a... And th- this might be kind of uncharitable reading, but... I had this feeling watching through where I suddenly, like, during this arc, and I, I just sat there and looked, and I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder how much Utena really was, like, in the beginning, is loyal to Wakaba, and how much of it is just a sort of undifferentiated, this bad thing has happened, and obviously as the prince, I should stop it. Like, how much of it is because she actually cares about Wakaba? I mean, at least some of it is. At least a little bit. If you want to look at it as in the most uncharitable light, which I'm really good at, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's still something that sets Wakaba apart from everybody else. Whether that's by Wakaba's own insistence, or whether that's by the fact that Utsuna genuinely likes her better than everyone else, which does seem to be the case. I mean... She she does seem to at least tolerate things from Wakaba that she might that well we don't really see other people doing that with her, like we see the scenes of, you know the students offering her towels and drinks and things like that and everybody's all calling her Utanasama Utanasama all the time, but it is Wakaba that um, hangs all over her and calls her boyfriend and does all of those cutesy little things so. 
if you want to read that really uncharitably, then Utena could be just kind of coasting along on the inertia of not having to really address this or do anything about it. But I don't really tend it's to see It's mostly beneficial to Utena. <laughs> Even if she doesn't really seem to care about it. Yeah. Um, there is a little bit of that in the the whole uh, beginning part where Wakaba is saying, Oh, I'm waiting for my boyfriend. And then the other students tell her, Oh, she's gone already. Like, so, so maybe Utena doesn't quite reciprocate as much as she should. But she's perfectly willing to throw down for Wakaba, so, I mean, it could just be a matter of priorities. I think Utena's just bad at prioritizing. <laughs> yeah. I do have a question I... for a mystery guest. Yes? So, in the Black Rose arc, Wakaba, like many other side characters, or secondary, kind of secondary tier characters, gets her moment in the sun... Some of them end up better off afterwards than others do. Do you think Wakaba is better off, or is she kind of lost big time after her duel? Ooh, that's a rough one. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think going through her feelings with the Black Rose arc was good, but ultimately, like they just forget everything once the duel is over do they so like i you know well that is that's a good point to bring up though is that wakaba when she closes her door at the end of that episode and says tadaima she does not look like she's entirely forgotten and also neither does um i'm i'm literally i'm sorry i'm literally never gonna forget this guy's name and you know, no matter how many times you tell me what the the kid who is not amazed like Suwabuki. manservant boy, <laughs> whatever manservant boy, bellhop boy, like whatever his like deal is, he see it seems like he didn't entirely forget. Like he is a he he acts a little differently. He's not quite as slavish as he was before. Like mm-hmm. there and and you know who definitely doesn't forget? Nanami doesn't forget because she has a weird reaction afterwards. Actually, I think maybe a, a more nuanced uh, statement would be that, like, maybe they don't, they forget consciously, but the memory is still kind of in their subconscious, I think. And so they still are experiencing some feelings from that, but maybe they don't necessarily get that that like they they don't remember necessarily everything that's gone on like as you would like a normal memory so wakaba has come into the limelight and uses her brief moment to say i want someone to care about me and remember me and think that i'm important and then goes home and there's nothing and uthana didn't walk her home so yeah what do you make of yeah that? it's just it's very sad because wakaba is someone who is obviously she's very fragile and soft like she's not not that she can't really stand on her own but just that she's very easily influenced by others because she doesn't have a very high opinion of herself or at least that's my interpretation but it's just it, it's very sad because even after she 
spends this time trying to basically beg Utena to care about her. Like, it doesn't really seem that Utena took very much from it. Because Utena just kind of keeps going on with the rest of her story. And it doesn't seem to bother her at all what has occurred. Like, she doesn't... She's very distressed dueling Wakaba when it's happening. But she doesn't seem to take any of it to heart. Well... If you look at the the kind of construction of uh, the Black Rose Duels and the understanding we have of it where subconsciously some things are still remembered but not consciously, none of those things were central to Utena's character. So when the Great Mind Wipe happened, um, she very well might not have remembered anything at all, even of Wakaba. None of those hmm. none of those were her problem. None of those were deeply emotionally rooted in her the way they were in the Black Rose Duelists. So is Wakaba right? She might be. Because uh, I like I I'm kind of confronted suddenly by this idea that Wakaba's kind of right. I I think that she is. I'm just gonna point put that out there as my opinion. In the sense that she's um, that she actually is unimportant because that's and, that's what I'm taking from this. I mean, in, in the in the cosmic sense, we aren't we all? But well, like, yeah, yeah. In the personal sense, to Utena and the people that she cares about, yeah. Not that she's unimportant, just as like by virtue of herself, but more that she's unimportant to everyone around her, and thus functionally unimportant in. The society with which she resides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You said something. Okay, uh, to break the kayfabe a little bit here. <laughs> um, real panda who is not from Canada, or should I say, fake panda who's not from Canada? Um, I want you to meet my panda, my panda who lives in Canada. <laughs> yes, Alice. One is that a real song? That's I was riffing on. Uh, I. My girlfriend who lives in Canada from Avenue Q. <laughs> I'll send that to you guys later. <laughs> and two, you said something a while back, and I kind of was hoping to get a chance to come back to this, where you pointed out that despite the fact that, like, Utana seems to sort of, like, for half forget about her, like, the show doesn't forget about Wakaba. Like, she's has one of the best characters, she has one of the most endearing character introductions in the entire show. She's there from literally almost the beginning, and she is constantly, like, the show keeps pulling her back in, even in places where it could easily not have her at all. Like the movie, Mm -hmm. even. Like, she doesn't really do anything in the movie, but she, like, is instrumental in saving the day at the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I feel like, do you think there's anything there to unpack? Like, that there's, that Uthana has sort of let wakaba fall by the wayside but like that the show hasn't i have thoughts but i'm gonna wait for fake panda to answer (laughs) i think that we could interpret it as a commentary in and of itself on this idea of like normal people in the magical story getting left behind because Wakaba is clearly sort of that archetype of like the non-magical friend who doesn't really have anything to do with the story well those are in a lot of magical girl series or even like 
superhero series in general where you have the characters friends from before they got swept up in their supernatural destiny and so I think it is I think we could take it as sort of a, a commentary on that idea the fact that we keep going back to her is a it's an inversion of what you would normally expect for a character like her that's an inversion because usually I would have been the one taking that the the storytelling line on things um <laughs> what I kind of wanted to say about it is um even special people think that they're not special like that's a universal experience there's literally like nobody on the planet who's never had even a single moment of i'm not worth all this imposter syndrome yeah imposter syndrome is rampant and even people that you would think are are self-confident still have that that um seed of doubt in them i uh i think you would have to be an incredibly insensitive unself-aware person to the point of maybe non-sentient to um to not have that experience and i think this show is kind of trying to address that i think it's really trying to in a way reflect that wakaba does have all of these special qualities to her like there's nothing that wasn't already in her when she started to shine so hard in in her episodes there's it's not any special power it's not any like divine intervention or anything like that she just is herself a great person when she has the confidence to be that way but she undermines herself at every turn and so she can't be that way because she keeps on telling herself that she can't be that way. So in a psychological sense, I feel like that was probably a common experience with the creators of the show. When I was talking about people who are definitely, definitely special, I did have one specific creator in mind. I think you know who I'm talking about here. Because, you know, the man himself. The guy who did Nier? <laughs> the man himself, Ikuhara, is definitely not what you would think of as a an ordinary person. But a lot of the things that he's said in interviews and a lot of the way that Wakaba's arc panned out definitely make me think that he's got more sympathy for her than pretty much anybody would realize unless you had extensively gone through the show's errata. <laughs> well, not having done so, I definitely didn't know that, but that's a really interesting perspective on Wakaba as a character because I didn't... From what I've seen of Ikahara, I wouldn't necessarily get that, but I'm also not surprised. Panda, or fake panda <laughs> we don't have to keep doing this <laughs> yeah but it's funny it's funny <laughs> yes we do yes we do you uh, have to but so yeah i i agree that that's not something that you would think to see from ikuhara but he is um hmm i'm just saying if you don't get the sense that he is a deeply deeply insecure person from 
anything you read about him, then you're probably not looking hard enough. <laughs> Do you have any examples of, like, like, can you think of anything in particular that he said that uh, is sort of relevant to this? Um, hmm. Specific examples? I would have to dig through and actually find one to, to footnote. But in a behavioral sense, a lot of the things he does are just things that you wouldn't do unless you needed people to pay attention. And if you have that strong need for people to pay attention, then you're probably not coming from a place of, oh, look at me, I'm so great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, like, for instance, him constantly doing things like, uh, this came up the other day where he recommended Demian to somebody that he worked with. And this person was like, oh, hey, cool, you know, I haven't been able to get through it. I'll give it a shot. And so this person finishes reading Demian, which just for for our audience, Demian is where the egg speech comes from pretty much in its entirety and has a lot of themes that are in common with Utuna. It's been suggested that we read Demian for this show. And um, no, I won't be doing that. No. Sorry, guys. Uh, Alice, Alice might. You might, you might. might enjoy it. Uh Fake Panda, you would not enjoy it. Thank you. That validates my decision not to do it. <laughs> but as far as Demian goes, Demian by Herman Hesse, uh, it's kind of a phil like philosophical novella kind of book. It's not really that long. If you're interested, it is a pretty decent read. But getting back to the anecdote, um, so this person goes, reads Demian, comes back to Ikuhara and says... Oh, hey, thanks for recommending that book. Uh, it it really was interesting, and I see a lot of themes in your work. And Ikuhara says, I've never read that book. I remember us talking about that on this show, because I remember he said something to the guy, like, this is one of my favorite books. And then he comes back, and the yeah. guy comes back, and he's like, I've never read this book before. Yeah, that, to me, especially that, tells me that you're not dealing with somebody who is... Um, trying to get out of the spotlight, so to speak. <laughs> That's attention-seeking behavior. Because clearly, clearly, the person who, um, who read the book knows what they're talking about. Otherwise, he would have been like, oh, um, you know, maybe you have it mistaken, maybe, maybe it was somebody else, and kind of probed into it. But just to have him say, I've never read that book, that really echoes a lot of the things that he's done that, um, well, let's see. Miki's stopwatch holds the mysteries of the universe, or whatever the hell he said. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Let's see. Like, his whole thing is fucking with you. Like... Yes. And you don't become that kind of person if you don't want people paying attention. And that is a much greater need for attention than most people exhibit. So there's always got to be something driving that. Like, personality traits don't just come out of nowhere. They don't just, like, appear fully formed. There's always a reason. And in his case, 
the things that he does suggest to me that there's insecurity driving it. The other major thing that um, hmm, I'm, I feel a little hesitant, but I'll bring it up anyway. Speculate. Speculate. <laughs> the fact that he's never come out of the quilt bag in any oh, way. Oh yeah, we, we have mentioned this also. Would you be coming out of the quilt bag or like entering the quilt bag? I don't know. I, I don't guess know. it would be coming uh, out of the closet and into the and into the quilt bag (laughs) but at any rate like that's that that he's never done that also suggests to me that there's at the very least a lot of uncertainty or a desire to stay hidden for whatever reasons and none of those reasons are i am a self-confident person Guys, I'm going to totally derail for a second. Ikahara's Wikipedia page says that he has expressed interest in the possibility of collaborating on a project with David Lynch. Yes. Yes, he really likes David Lynch. Ikuhara and David Lynch? He really likes David Lynch. Uh, I I mean, uh, I have... Uh, I have more than once probably referred to Ikuhara as, like, the David Lynch of anime. Yeah. Imagine Revolutionary Girl Utena, but actually this time it's just, uh, like, the third season of, um... I'm quitting this podcast right now. (laughs) Bye! Bye. I'm leaving! Bye! No, no, no! No, no, no! no. no. Don't leave because because um don't worry if you ask Ikuhara which of Lynch's movies influenced him the most he'll be like I've never heard of him you know he'll Excellent. do it right now can we stop and just like speculate who we think what do you think Ikuhara's favorite David Lynch film is go <laughs> Blue Velvet I don't know I don't know any David Lynch films <laughs> because I already know and I thought about this question for four seconds do tell okay which one is it. It's obviously a racer head. No, I'm I'm going with blue. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Cassie, who, what do you think? Speaking to the microphone. Ten bucks says it's Mulholland Drive. Ooh, actually, <laughs> I was thinking of Mulholland Drive and not Blue Velvet. So we are one in the same on this one. I just got the names mixed up. <sighs> well, I I, just... I can't weigh in on this because I've actually never watched any David Lynch. I watched enough David Lynch to to ask Fake Panda. The same question 18 times and they've been very mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> the noise you just heard is her literally her soul expiring and, and vaporizing itself. Are we talking about firewalking? Yeah, we're talking about firewalking. Oh, this is a firewalking happen. I just wanted you to watch the episode. It never does. I know. For the record, I actually really regret doing that. It was very <sighs> Yeah, anyway... <laughs> yeah i can so, i can see what you're saying yasha i yeah. can too actually I, I just can a lot of his behaviors aren't ones that i would expect from somebody who has a lot of self-confidence um like some people may be like that and a lot of people claim that they have a lot of self-confidence and that's why they're like that but in most cases where I've had to investigate it to any degree, whether that's through case studies or um, reading accounts of it or 
that kind of thing, or whether that's been in person, I have never found somebody who acts out to that degree and also has confidence as a person and believes in their own self-worth. Absolutely. The most ostentatious artists, I find, are ones with crushingly low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. What is this uh-huh. self-esteem you refer to? Yeah, Sounds really. Fake. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's 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 one of those um, societal constructs we're supposed to believe in, like gender <laughs> and money. Yeah, that too. Pops. <laughs> Geo, it's like a, that drill tweet. Geo isn't real. I tell myself as I crash my Ford Explorer into the Hallmark store. <laughs> <laughs> So true, so true. But getting back to Wakaba here, so do do you feel that probably informed how he how he treated Wakaba? I'm, I mean, obviously a collaborative effort, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Ikuhara was kind of the guiding mind for the series. So, do you feel like that informed how Wakaba was treated in the anime? I I absolutely do. I think that it takes a creator like Ikahara to take that character archetype of like the normal girl and actually care about her in the story. And I think that other more lighthearted stories probably wouldn't bother to extend as much care and sympathy to her as the series clearly does to Wakaba. Yeah, she really she really gets treated very well compared to um, characters in other shows that would well, be like I'm thinking Escaflone for one, which came out uh, around pretty much the same time. I think I think it was ninety seven, and I have often said that Escaflone is the better anime. I don't know if you listened to the last episode that we put out, but uh, we mentioned Escaflone very briefly. <laughs> because uh, Oh no, I haven't listened to it yet. It was the Naname episode, and our guest brought up the fact that there's uh, one writer who was consistent across all of Naname's episodes, and that writer also worked on Escaflone, I think, was what they said in the episode. I didn't fact check oh, cool. any of that, so... Well, but I trust our I guest was know. correct. Okay, here's the thing. I know that Giovanna from Empty Movement <laughs> brought this up at some point, and we did know that Nanami's writer is consistent through all of her episodes, but we weren't able to find any other um, references to this writer. We did find an anecdotal footnote somewhere that suggested that was a pen name for Ikuhara. I brought that up in the episode. So, I couldn't remember if you guys had told me that yeah. or if I had read it somewhere else. But I guess that's where I got it is that you guys told me that. I don't know. I yeah. would, I guess I'll have to, to fact check this. But uh, I think they had Googled it while we were in mm-hmm, doing the mm-hmm. episode. I don't know. You'll well, you'll have to go back and though. listen to the episode and hear what they because they mentioned the name. Yeah, of yeah. who they were referring to. I can't recall to. the name off the top of my head, but but finding out that that writer also worked on Escaflone is um, interesting. Definitely interesting. Um, but at any rate, the fact that there is crossover between the two shows it doesn't surprise me. I have often said that 
Escaflone is the better anime. <laughs> and in a lot of ways it is. Um I mean Yoko Kano on it on the soundtrack, she's a legend in her own right that could compete with Caesar, I'm pretty sure. The I don't know what animation... you just said, but all I heard was the name of God, so I'm looking up now. <laughs> Uh, the animation is nowhere near as shit as Utena's. Um, the the storyline is well well executed to the point where it's not immediately noticeable that it's three seasons of material packed into two seasons. It's just all around. It'll appeal to everybody in a way that Utena really doesn't. But even they do the same thing. Like for all that I love Escaflone and it. And think that it is such a great show. And I'm so disappointed that there's not really that much of a fandom for it anymore. Like, not in an active sense. Um, it really doesn't... It does have the sidekick character. The the normal girl who... I mean, Hitomi is normal. But her sidekick friend, whose name I can't even remember... I mean obviously doesn't get that good of treatment so for all it's for all it's great things even escaflonia doesn't pull that off that's not really something that you see very often is having the quote-unquote sidekick treated with even a grain of humanity they're mostly just disposable yeah and i mean walkabout still gets a short end of the sick but like the show also has Well yeah, she ends up with that. Tatsuya. Yeah. Don't I don't why you have to why did you have to say that? Cause yeah, she's alone and Uthana has kinda of moved on, but to some extent, but like the show also seems to really pity her. Like well, shows this as being like just up bad without any sort of you know Nice happy moment after that. You know what? You know what? I don't really think that's true, Alice. No, I don't. Because, hmm, it is not explicitly stated at any point, but if you look at the positioning and actions when you see Wakaba in the end, she's taken Utena's spot. She's the Utena now. I would would give him so, I would give all of them so much money to make it. Revolution <laughs> yeah. I know that you had a point, and it was a good point. I'll probably address it in a second, but I would just pay money for that. God, oh, yeah, yeah that would be so good. <laughs> well, I know what I'm probably going to do when I finally do actual fanfiction for Uthana. <laughs> yes. It's the same thing do. again, but this time it's Wakaba. No, I, would, I would love that. I would love to read that. <laughs> I can kind yeah, that's fair. I, I think that's that's. I'm she's not sure one, entirely what to make of that. But. She's the one getting jumped on by the sidekick best friend at the end. She gets the guy. However horrible that guy is. Listen, we don't uh, have uh, to accept Wakaba no. <laughs> and Tatsuya in, as canon. The suggestion is is definitely there, but we don't. Wait, have he's the onion to. boy. We don't he? have to accept it. Is but... that the onion boy? Yeah, that's the onion yes. boy. Okay. By the way, as a brief detour in onion boy territory, oh no, um, and into onion country, if you will. <laughs> um, the, oh my the, god! Wait, 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 wait! The onions. Roll up your windows. We're entering onion country. 
beyond beyond onion dome, if you will. Um, <laughs> like, so he goes first. He goes mm-hmm. first, and is rejected by the Black Rose mm-hmm. thing. Rightly, I, as everyone should reject him. Anyway, <laughs> continue. Okay, so that my answer to my question, that what I was going to ask was, do we think that that's like? At the time, I wasn't sure if the like him being rejected was because he wasn't bad enough or because he was just sort of too pathetic. You know, honestly, um, I have seen that both ways from the creators. Because, like, it, like at first I felt like, okay, is he just too pathetic? But then at the very end, he has the turn that the other ones don't, where he's about to just like go super ultra toxic and then just turns into like just sort of feeling sorry for himself and not in a I also hope that they die kind of way that's very different from the rest of them well here's the thing I have seen okay within the text of the show we are led to believe that Tatsuya has better intentions and and Mm -hmm. some goodness in his heart, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, he's a bit of a dick, but if you put your nineties glasses on, nothing that he's doing comes off as real bad. Having taken the nineties glasses off, I hate the shit out of him, (laughs) but with, with the nineties glasses on, Nothing he's doing is really out of out of bounds. He's he's being a little bit of a dick, but you know, guys are a little bit they're they're kind of dicks. And he is he's oh, it's so sweet that he uh it's going to take me a moment. Give me a moment. <laughs> take a moment breathe if you need to. Give me, <laughs> it's so sweet that Tatsuya would oh. still love Wakaba even if she had been with somebody else. God, that makes Did you me hear like... that? The Mad Max soundtrack just started up on my end here. <laughs> Actually. Oh, Coincidentally. Oh, okay. Good, because I thought that you were having to like use like electroshock to keep yourself going. No, no, that was that was my phone telling me that it's 830, but um I it's pretty uh pretty appropriate that that was the Mad Max soundtrack that started up right then. Um <laughs> But yeah, so like with the the horrible '90s glasses on, none of that is real bad. None of that is is really as toxic as we know it to be now. And he's not really. He's just kind of dopey. You know what I mean? Like he's just he's a, a little bit of a laughing stock, but also you kind of feel sympathy for him because he clearly '90s glasses. Cares so much about Wakaba. I would, I would say that even if we keep our '90s glasses on and pretend that we don't severely hate every single thing that he does and says, I think that he, perhaps, in my opinion, the Black Rose elevator rejected him because I don't know. He doesn't seem as he seems like he lacks a certain sincerity that the other 
duelists had. Like, everyone else, the conflicts that drove them to the elevator to do the duels and whatnot were, like, extremely personal and, like, deep within them. And, like, I don't know, Tatia didn't even remember Wakaba until, like, a couple, like, until, like, earlier that day. Like, it just doesn't seem like he has the... He's not as, like, I don't know. He it, Hi, producer Jimmy. <laughs> How are you hungry? <laughs> okay, I'll feed you. Give me w- one sec. Sorry. C- continue. <laughs> You're good. Uh, yeah, I think he just lacks a certain sincerity that the other duelists had, like, in his confession. Confession. Yeah, quotes. I mean, I always wondered if he was lying or something about not knowing who she was, but you're right, like, that turn, part of the reason it feels so pathetic is, yeah, because it does feel kind of fake. It does It does yeah. feel like, like that he's actually, really thinking something else. To be honest, that ties into what I was about to say next, which is one of the things that I've read in interviews is, um, God, I can't even remember where I'm getting this quote from. Um, I'll just do the quote and see if you recall it. You lack the courage of your convictions. Which is pretty much what they That's said about. That's from Interview with the Vampire. Is it? Yeah. Great. <laughs> right in the opening of Interview with the Vampire. Enjoy. I sure did. I didn't remember what it was, but I sure did. But anyway. Oh. Please stop scratching my leg, producer Jimmy. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! For the listeners, part of our bit was that her. Cat, that Yasha's cat Sam is now producer Jimmy. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Canadian Panda's cat is producer Jimmy. <laughs> Who even are we anymore? Am I even Alice anymore? Like, do we have to make up? Like, why? Why did I be Panda and you be Alice? And then like <laughs> we made up that I don't even know. This is confusing. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm trying to Alice, imagine Alice doing the intro. Imagine, imagine Alice. Imagine me and Alice. (laughs) Y'all are tripping. But back to Wakaba. But anyway, anyway, so I just quoted Interview with the Vampire. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. It's true. Um, That's basically how they put it in the interview where he was mentioned is that he does lack the courage of his convictions because his convictions really aren't that strong which i can also see yeah like it seems like he thinks that his convictions are strong but he's a teenage boy he has no grasp of how strong his convictions actually are that does beg a very interesting question though would you really want wakaba to be with somebody whose convictions were that strong i mean not if they're tatsi (laughs) i mean especially well she had somebody who's convictions were strong and they dumped her like a hot potato we're talking about somebody whose convictions are strong enough to attempt murder on another person i mean Utida would have murdered him but her sword was what <laughs> well no but i mean if if tatsuya was that in love with wakaba that he would have happily killed somebody i really don't think that would be a healthy relationship either. absolutely no. not <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, he really has no way to come out as a good person at all. 
I mean, if he had dueled, then he's somebody who would literally murder somebody for... Please stop scratching the couch, producer Jimmy. Go. Get out of here. Go. (sighs) Fuck's sake. Anyway. If he... If he had dueled, he's a terrible person. If he hadn't dueled, he's a pathetic person. Does that mean... Really, really... Does that mean Wakaba is bad for having dueled? Uh, for wanting to kill Anthe. Fair. I would say that. I would say that makes you kind of a bad person. Fair. I mean, Anthe's a bitch, but. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. So, but then the other thing that, um, that I've heard about Tatsuya is the whole view of him as a pathetic person. And that also comes from the creators of the show. So Tatsuya, like most of the other characters, is a pretty multifaceted kind of guy. I have to give them that, even if I hate him. Honestly, honestly, um, I actually, somebody came back at me for this once. Um, how, How can I like Akio and Toga and hate Tatsuya? And okay, well, Tatsuya's Akio lame, and Toga. So, well, no. Here's the thing: Akio and Toga can never exist. Sure, rapists can exist. Sure, real fucking dickholes can exist. But Toga and Akio, as characters, are impossible creatures. Stop scratching my back! God, what is wrong with you? <sighs> um. But they're impossible creatures. They can't exist in the real world. Tatsuya exists in the real world. Oh, absolutely. There's, yeah, there's hundreds of him. He's all over the place. So I just wanted to address that in a little bit more depth because I do have a lot of venom for him that I don't have for for Sayanji, for Toga, for Akio. Those guys, you'll never see those guys in real life. You'll see horrible people, sure, but they will never be those guys. Mm-hmm. The level Tatsuya, of you're gonna the level of see him everywhere. The level of evil mm-hmm. that you get from characters like Toga and Akio is literally cartoonish. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not well, but also even just the the composition of personality traits is not one that would easily survive in the real world. They're archetypes. They're not people. The banality of his evil kind of makes it more threatening. Yeah. Threatening the right word? Yeah. Well, because yeah. it is a an actual threat in the real mm-hmm. world. People like Tatsuya. Like. I'm genuinely not worried that some motherfucker is going to flip over his convertible and seduce me into the ends of the world. Okay. Would it work? Probably. But I'm not worried about it because it won't happen. Um, alas. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Look, I'm not claiming to be a good person. <laughs> I guess that is kind of the. It, it makes sense to me that Wakaba would end up with him, if only because, well, we have established that Wakaba has a has something of a tendency to attach herself to people 
who she thinks are good and that she likes because she ima- can imagine them paying attention to her. Yeah. Yeah, I I could see that. That's a super cynical read, I think, but I could I could see it. Cuz I, I kind of feel like some of the reason why she got attached she attached herself to Uzuma is some of the same reasons she attached herself to Sayoji. She just got lucky with Uthuna, that Uthuna wasn't, you know, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kaba just seems like she is willing to... I mean, like, she attaches herself to these people, and like you said, she got lucky with Uthuna, and, like, I would gather after being sort of neglected by Uthuna, and then outright... I don't even know how to put into words the whole situation with Sionji and not to imply that she is in any way innocent in that situation because she did definitely imprison her classmate and take advantage of him <laughs> being dependent on her. But well. after <laughs> after all of that, I imagine that Tatsuya probably, even if he's a like capital nice guy, and he's kind of a shithead, he probably is nice to her. And the fact that Mm -hmm. he has the combination of traits being nice to her and caring about her, like, those are the two things that she wants out of a partner, it seems like. And, or at least, like, the minimum that she wants out of a partner. And so she's probably going to jump at that chance, whether she should or not just given everything Mm -hmm. she's been through up until this point. Well, and the thing is, we don't ever explicitly hear that he is her partner. It's just that that, in the end scenes, that's the spot he stands in. Like, Wakaba has the best friend who is the Wakaba to her Utena, and then there's also someone else there, which would have been Anthe, in Utena's case. But in this case, it's Tatsuya. So, okay. Where's my fan art of Tatsuya in the bride dress? Yes, please. Please. God, Twitter. if you're out I'm, there. Twitter, I'm asking you. <laughs> but, um, hmm. Do you want to flip the narrative? Because I'm still really interested in this whole idea of wakaba as maybe not so not we're being very sympathetic to her but we haven't brought up any of the sayonji stuff let's bring the sayonji stuff because i do have some things to say about this damn it i meant to make a joke earlier about me being green to podcasting while i was pretending not to have been on a podcast (laughs) i wasted it Wow. Oh, that's okay. legitimately, <laughs> legitimately the podcast is canceled now. Like <laughs> uh oh. Podcast over. You divided by zero and we're done. <laughs> but yes, uh <laughs> speaking of green, the Seonji in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the non surfing elephant. I didn't think about like that also being a joke, the Seonji in the room, because she, he's locked up in Wakaba's room, but... It sure is. <laughs> wow. Yes. Um, okay, I'm gonna say, I honestly... This is one point where I 
do take definitely a sympathetic reading. I don't believe that Wakaba has him locked in her room. He's there because he probably won't leave. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I wouldn't say that she's like, I have seen it. Argued. Well, okay. I won't say that. I think she's literally trapping him there, but would she? Yeah. That's a stickier Because question. I think that if push came to shove, I'm not saying that she 100% would, but she would definitely really She'd think about it. it. She might. Yeah. She'd think about it. She'd consider it. But I'm not going to hold her responsible for thoughts when I've thought many times about doing things that are maybe not necessarily great. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> but even though she doesn't, like, literally trap him... She does There's, take advantage of him being dependent on her, and she does kind of try to perpetuate the situation of him being dependent on her. Well, let's 90s glasses again for a second. That's what women were. I mean, they were supposed to be the one that pre- that people were depending on. The, the housewife and the mother and all of that. And Wakaba shows absolutely no inclination to fight with that ideal. Sure. She just also wants to be special. Um, That's, I mean, with your 90s glasses on, she's just doing mm-hmm. what she's supposed to do. She's being the dependable one. We look at it now and we go, holy shit, she's keeping him dependent. But it might have been seen very differently back then. I yeah. imagine seeing it with 90s glasses would see more of like look at how horrible he is for taking advantage of her kindness as opposed to even thinking to place any of the onus on her yeah i mean he he did kind of he is putting a lot on someone who he kind of threw in the trash have to do that yeah i I will say that like if you don't read her as literally keeping him there by force, then, yeah, which I don't, because it seems a little silly to me, but, like, yeah, I mean, he is putting a lot on her, somebody who he treated like dirt. Even if he didn't, mm-hmm. even if he wasn't the one who, like, personally put her letter up there, I'm not sure that you know that at that point. I don't remember. But even if you do, like, he did throw it away in a public place. Like, he let that letter fall yeah. in somebody else's hand. So, not to imply that I think of Seonji as some sort of victim in this situation because he's definitely an asshole, and I don't feel sorry for him for the situation that he has with Wakaba. But also, uh, you know, um, if you. Okay, if you put the 90s glasses and the Japan glasses on, it looks very much like what a, a normal marriage would have looked like. I will say that him making her that little thing is simultaneously, like, an opportunity for him to be a dick, and also kind of one of the only genuinely nice things he does. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, hmm. It's an action that has sort of confounded me, actually. I've never a hundred percent understood why it happened because we like I mean I guess he could be doing it just to actually be nice, but then to turn around and do what he does next, I don't know. It's just like Well, I mean, you gotta look at his behavior 
in the contexts that it's in, Sanji is actually not that bad a person. I mean, we see him as super bad, but his super bad comes out literally when Anthe's around and pretty much only when being directly manipulated by Akio and or Anthe. And Toga. So, yeah, but he mostly aims that at Toga. I mean, like, Sayonji mostly aims his dickishness at Toga when Toga's manipulated. Yeah, 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 yeah. like, he's never had, like, he never um, has that edge. His his malice is always kind he, of instinctual. If you look at him in context where he's away from those three, he's a pretty decent guy. Like, he's not beyond as reform. Soon as the, yeah, well, I mean, Nanami hits the shit out of him when she thinks that he's cooked her egg and he doesn't, he's just like, whoa, wait, whoa, 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 don't, what, what are you doing? Which is what you would expect from a dude who is being beat on by a 13 year old. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what? Like, he's not, I'm not saying that he's like some kind of paragon, but I am saying that he's actually not that, he's not a shit, not a complete shithead. He's just kind of a dude. And, um, so I feel like in that sense, him wanting to make that kind of, kind of generous gift of the leaf to, to Wakaba is more just him being who he is when he's not around the duels. It just, I don't know. It, he doesn't really seem like he actually cares that much about Wakaba, except for like that one moment. I mean, he he's sort of yeah. like he's happy to see her, but if then again, he's happy to have someone who's there. He makes he he gives her the thing, and it's implied that simultaneously he was going to give it to her, and also it was something to do. So it could you could read it as a little bit of a like it's convenient, and he is genuinely thankful, but she's not like important or anything. He's grateful, but well, uh, yeah. I mean, like he's not. I I never got any romantic impetus yeah, like, out of it. He, he's just he's thankful enough. He's grateful. Yeah, he's just he's grateful. But the but like you know there are bigger fish to fry, and if he can get something else out of that ring, that thing, then he probably will. Yeah. Um. I don't know. To me, that really says more about. Again, like I said, who he is when he's not yeah. around the duels and not around Toga, because he's just, there is where you see that Sionji, when he's not around all these toxic influences, is the kind of guy who's nice enough to hand carve somebody that he doesn't even want to fuck uh, a hair thing, because he's glad that they helped him out. You know, it, it occurs to me that, like, I feel that okay, so like Sanji in the very beginning, he's he has the whole like he does the he does um what's it called kendo and he's the he's the one yeah. who's like super like traditionalist about how he fights and how like he's the one who has the he's he's very very much a, a traditional status oriented um history-oriented Japanese. I feel yeah. like him making right. that thing is also kind of... There's a little bit of the 
the grateful Ronin makes a small gift, leaves a small gift behind when he leaves kind of thing going on there too. Which I th- Here's an interesting collision um, between the grateful Roman, Ronin, bleh, Ronin makes a gesture of thanks and the status-oriented Japanese dude. Um, handmade gifts are very much not the really? thing. You don't do really? that. Yeah. Uh, I don't so really know him, very much about that. Of course, yeah, he's also, um, like, not a rich dude. Yeah, no, that's the thing. He's admitting his poorness by giving her a gift that's handmade. Oh, don't endear me to say on Okay, yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. I was really baffled at first, but that does make sense. Yeah, no, he's like this is this is an admission of his lack of status in a way because like I said, handmade gifts in Japan at least at the time, I'm not sure whether this has changed. I doubt it has from having been there or wait i didn't go because i'm panicking (laughs) um (laughs) but handmade gifts are lower class they're they're not as polite as buying something for somebody which is why when he says i'll buy you something tell me your address so that i can send it to you it's not actually the brush off really it's it's more him regaining his status and probably not really wanting to recall so much that he had lost so much status that at one point he was going to give her a handmade gift. So for him, the leaf is kind of an embarrassment in a way because that's really all he had to give to somebody that he was really grateful to. And... So when Mikage asks him for just the leaf, that probably was kind of a relief to him. Even after seeing Wakaba's um, reaction to it. Because no doubt she valued it It because she... Well, I mean, it came from him, but he handmade it. That's something that's going to mean something to her, even in spite of the status thing. Um, So... I mean, Sionji, assuming that he is a dumb teenage male, would probably be like, well, I mean, so she'll be even happier if I buy her something. You know what I mean? Ah, so you read that that line is genuine. This has just entirely reoriented my understanding of this this situation. So so just to make sure, you would actually read that moment as him being genuine to some extent, and not just as him being a dick. Like, he is actually thinking he is going to He's genuinely a dick, but he's also, I think, like, he's not trying to insult her. He's not trying to to brush her off. He's, he has regained his former position, and she is less status than him now, so he has to treat her appropriately, and also he probably really doesn't want to to be reminded of losing his position. So no, he doesn't want to come and give her a thing in person. But he doesn't forget her entirely. And he tells her he's going to buy her something, which is supposed to be the better thing to do anyway. So, yeah. Huh. It's a bit of a switch, isn't it? It's a bit of a, like, it takes a little bit to wrap your head around it, but it's, um... 
I think probably closer to what was actually going on there. That this than... knowledge entirely recontextualizes that whole thing. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. It's almost it's actually I think it's worth a I went back and rewatched it when I learned that. So I would say that that episode is worth a rewatch just for that. Um because really he's I don't know if you look at Sanji's behavior in terms of a crushing loss of status, a feeling of inferiority, um this this poor thing that I had to make with my hands rather than a nice thing that I could buy you that you would really like. This poor thing is the only thing that I have to give. You know, that that kind of puts it in more of a, of a sympathetic light to him. Which is another part of why I'm always saying he's not quite as dickish as everybody reads him. Like, he's he's a dick. Don't get me wrong. But he's not quite as unredeemably dickish as, say, Toga, who is... He's not cartoonishly evil. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm willing to get behind that, that he's not just cartoonishly evil. Like, with enough time and and a lot of work, he could be mildly decent. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's much harder for me to say that with, like, say... You know, our boy Projector Man. Hmm. There's no hope there. Yeah. Some people are too far gone. <laughs> I would never say there's no hope. I would. Because you have to account we can say for, it for time. You. We can say it for you. I mean, I feel like people just get worse over time. You know, I, I just do this to devil's advocate you every single time. Every single time you guys, you guys just go for it. But, um... But do you really think that after being without Anthe for several hundred years, even, that his perspective wouldn't have changed even a little? Do you think there's no yes. possibility? Yes, and I can tell you exactly why. Why? Because I used to work with children, and Akio could be a little. Akio's whole thing is a little childish, and when you take away someone's like tennis ball, they never forget, and they never forgive. <laughs> Oh, that's great. To be honest, we've compared him to a four-year-old so many times that, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel I yeah. do think that he would probably spend most of that time angry at Anthe and resenting her for leaving the game and continuing to think that she's in the wrong for doing so. Yeah, that's fair. I guess if he is an immortal being that can conceivably live forever... I guess it's not totally impossible at some point after the heat yeah. death of the universe. He might <laughs> yeah. he might come around, but at that point, I don't think it would matter. Yeah, really, I'm more, I just am not willing to, um, I'm not willing to admit to eternal things, and Akio is one of them. Uh, entropy works on everything. I think that by the time Akio change his perspective there would not be any humans left for him to trap in dueling games he would have to move on to something else like cockroaches yeah i mean that's kind of how he sees humans anyway but this episode is not about akio so i mean he's right <laughs> geo's not even okay, here so... and you managed to make the episode about akio <laughs> so look i'm talented 
I got a bail here. In a yeah, minute. we do okay. need to wrap up. So, um, okay. I think that's not a bad place to end. You have revolutionized my perspective on Seonji, which is not what I expected to happen tonight. Well, I mean, I hope that honestly, it makes you see him a little more the way Wakaba sees him because she's not wrong. There's a good guy in there. Yeah, I mean, there, there are like it, you can see why. Yeah, someone her age, the way she is, the kind of person she is, why she would be interested. Actually, that's one other thing too. Is Sionji desperately wants status and has a certain amount, and Wakaba also wants status. She just doesn't have it, and her whole duel is about getting status. So there are some parallels between the two of them. Yeah. We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like, I I hope you see him now a little more the way she might see him, because that's important, I think, to to his character and hers, is to, to kind of get in their heads that way. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at UtanaCast. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at MPandanata. Where can they follow you on Twitter, Alice? They can follow me on Twitter at Lyrewolf, L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. And Canadian Panda, where can the people find you on the internet? They can find me at mpandanata. (laughs) 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 No, (laughs) you can find me where I always am, yasha at otori.nu. And um, what is that on Twitter? That's at otori underscore and you yep. yeah and there's so many places just just you know, go to the website, website. otori.new yeah <laughs> if you would like to follow us on tumblr you can do that at imagineandutna.tumblr.com and if you would like to email us you can do that at imagineandutna at gmail.com we are a patreon supported podcast you can find the link to that pretty much anywhere that you can find us on the internet. And I think that's it. I think that's all our things. Revolutionize right. the world, everybody. Oh, wait, no, Yasha, you have to it. say it. Why? Because you're a panda. I don't want to. Oh. Say revolutionize <laughs> the world. Oh, yeah, that's right. Revolutionize the world, everybody. See you later. Bye. Bye. I did it. I stole <laughs> Alice's part. I can't believe that I have been usurped. I, the Starscream, have been Starscream. I, Starscream. God damn it. <laughs>